Welcome to In the Fire, a podcast for the young families of Chapelgate Presbyterian Church. Marriage and parenting are a wonderful blessing and are extremely rewarding, but they're also really hard and can leave us feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and defeated. That's exactly why we started this podcast, to help families see how the gospel injects encouragement, comfort, and hope into the daily grind of our lives, and to remind you that you're never alone in the struggle. There is another in the fire. Hello and welcome to In the Microwave. My name is Steve Dalwig. It is not, as you may see, Rob Gicking. You see, the public has spoken and uh, the fire just wasn't enough. And so we needed to heat this up a little faster. So we're nuking it in the microwave today. Uh, The reality is I actually have with me as today's guests, Rob Gicking himself and Patrick Allen. So we sort of turned the tables, and uh, this podcast is now mine uh, for the next 30, 40 minutes, and uh, I'm really, really excited about that. Welcome, Rob. Welcome, Patrick. Welcome. This is strange. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet it does feel a little weird right it now. It was hurtful. I mean, you're referencing some like anonymous survey that I wasn't part of where the public has spoken and, and replaced me with you? Well, you know, how do you know it was, how do you know it was anonymous? Oh, I don't want to know who it was. If people, you know, were, I, you know, that could. If people were that happens. brazen, that would just hurt. It's really uh, a good segue, though. This uh, this conversation is brought to you by SurveyMonkey. Want to <laughs> oust your podcast hosts? <laughs> Try SurveyMonkey for anonymous posts as to determine what you want to do with your podcast. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Patrick and Rob. Um, you know, when Rob hosts the podcast, he always asks the hard-hitting question. That's right. Right up front and first. I, I think uh, we'll call this today, we'll call it a, a very, a, like a difficult query. Are you a serious? query, yeah. You're not even going to say hard-hitting question? I don't even want, it's, it's, All right, you know, I feel like it's, co- you he's know, trying to make it his in own. In the fire Rob, is copyrighted and this is my own. So we're right. in the microwave, no, we're going to add a little difficult query. And That's just as catchy as hard-hitting You know, hitting I... Um, you know, and I, and I want to keep things real. We want to heat things up fast, right? So we're in this period of Lent right now, and uh, with Lent, there's a lot of reflection on your own personal sin. And I thought maybe each of you could share just really quick what maybe the deepest sin you've been repenting of recently. I really don't like to put Lent in the microwave because it's a fire hazard, but go ahead, Rob. Uh, for me, I'm having to repent from a whole lot of anger right now, like in this very moment. <laughs> Directed at the people in this room. Um, all right, all right, all right. You know, let's. Well, I'll do a. I'll do a Rob type, hard hitting question. Yeah, that'd you be. Know, good. I won't make you repent of your, of your mm-hmm. sin right now. Okay. Um, uh, let's say, if uh, you were to be a part of any superhero movie franchise, you wanted to insert yourself into that movie world which superhero movie franchise would that be and why i'm ready are you ready can you clarify superhero no no, you're overcomplicating. okay all right yeah you're 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 going yeah batman i want to be batman you want to be bad man bat but the batman that's 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 a really your voice that's a really good michael keaton right there who's that that was the original that was the first batman movie dude i never heard of him he's coming back they're bringing him like back. A, They're like bringing him back in the, in the new movie. Yeah. What? What? Oh, <laughs> Patrick, I think you're up. Uh, yeah, superhero. Okay. I mean, 
I was gonna say Batman, but that's been taken. So I think I'm gonna go with uh, Ant Man. Right? No, not Ant Man. <laughs> I do like Paul Rudd. He's a man of many talents. Oh gosh, this is tough. Uh, I don't like Captain America. Yeah, I know. Right there. Let's see. Uh, probably Iron Man. He's independently wealthy. It's like Batman. He's a human, but wears a suit. Iron Man. I'm familiar with, with his with his well, work. You, didn't you don't know, need to explain it to you me. You didn't know Mike, Michael Keaton, so yeah. You know. Yeah, it just dates. I'm dating myself, That's and I right. guess we're dating Patrick here when we bring reference Michael Keaton, um, as in his uh, in his movies. All right. Well, um, discussing that, I guess, is not the reason we've gathered. We've gathered because uh, we wanted to talk about um, one of the topics that we had chosen for our family universities. And uh, that, uh, that topic is on the topic of busyness um, and, and our need for finding space in, in our busy lives. And so, Rob, why, why, did, why was that a topic that you felt that that was something we needed to devote a whole family university to? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me, Steve, on this podcast. Uh, second, it's it's a common struggle, right? Everybody's struggling with this right now. Um, we you ask anyone, hey, how's it going? How's it going? And if and if it's anything more than fine or good, it's I'm busy, right? right? And so yeah. it really is something that that everyone is dealing with. I mean, like my one of my favorite quotes is I was sort of preparing for this conversation. It's it's anonymous in its attribution, but it says, no matter how busy a man is, he's never too busy to stop and talk about how busy he is, right? And so the the reality is. Busyness is something that we're all struggling with, and it does have a very real impact on our on our lives with Jesus. So for me, that's why you got to talk about it. Yeah, I, it's so true, and I feel like even recently, you know, people ask how I've been, and I, I feel like that is the first answer I often want to bring to the forefront is just, how have you been? Oh man, I'm busy. Like, like busy is is an emotion or a feeling, and it's not. It's right. just it's just sort of a a thing that I. Uh, a thing that I would say, almost as if I was afraid uh, to admit that I'm not busy, um, as if there would be something wrong in saying, "Oh, right. I got plenty of time." Right. So, but but yeah. So so it seems to be that it's a it's a common uh, problem. It's something that a lot of people would say. This is something uh, that that affects my life and probably everybody else we talk to in that. Exactly. And I think it's it does actually have a great negative consequence. We just might not see it. It might not be as blatant as some other things that we we may struggle with. Um, you know, you struggle with with drugs or, or with alcohol. You know, there's like a very felt and uh, visible, you know, need that, that it's creating. But this is also, you know, although not felt or not observed as clearly, has a huge uh, ramification in a negative way. And, and I think um, what's interesting is two very famous pastors, uh, their conversations recorded, John Ortberg and Dallas Willard. And um, John Ortberg goes to Dallas. Dallas is older, like very well-known, respected pastor. And he just says, what's the greatest challenge to your spiritual growth? You know, he's a young pastor. He's trying to learn, you know, what are the pitfalls of life here that I should avoid? And, you know, there's a lot of answers that Dallas Willard could have gave, but he just says, it's hurry. Wow. Because yeah. hurry and love are incompatible. And so when you think about it from that standpoint, like that's a very deep answer. But the truth is when we do start to process that, hurry is not only 
you know, incompatible with love, but like it really is incompatible with the life of Jesus. And so, you know, at some point in this conversation, we're going to talk about Jesus, right? Right. And the fact that like he was never too busy or too hurried to interact with people around him. But we, we don't quite reflect that. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think that's really true, but would you say it's, is that just, isn't that just the way it's always been? You know, historically, haven't we just always been busy by nature? Yeah, I think it's easy to think that because in, in the recent history of humanity, especially here in America, the answer is probably yes. You know, certainly since like the Industrial Revolution, it's been ramping up in busyness. But over the course of like human history, you know, uh, as, a, as a species, if you will, like, no, it really hasn't been. And so um, the first thing I think that's important for us to remember is that really into, until very recently in human history, we were an agrarian culture, right? It was an agrarian society. What do you, what do you, uh, yeah. That's a weird word. What's agrarian mean for the uneducated like me? Yeah, so for the uneducated like you, Steve, um, it, it means that we were farmers, right? You either were herding, you were planting and harvesting crops, or you were like a hunter-gatherer. And so there, as a result, were a lot of limitations placed on your life, right? So you have these seasonal rhythms, for example, if you're a farmer, right? There's a time to plant, there's a time to, you know, grow, and then there's time to harvest. And you work really, really hard in the sowing season and then in the reaping season. But then there's the dormant season of wintertime where you're not you know, you are just living off of the work that you did for the past nine months to get you through those three months of winter when nothing does grow. Um, if you're a farmer, right, it's like that's kind of the rhythm of life. And so not only that, but there's no electricity, right? So the only light at night is from the moon or from a fire. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a whole right. lot of work you're getting done, you know, out in the field at nighttime. Whereas now, you know, we got electricity, we have laptops that go home with us. We have phones that we're constantly accessible. Um, these things, right, we've, we've kind of, a lot of the limitations that we've experienced as humans for most of our existence are, are being overcome. And so there's things that are really great. Like I don't have the limitation of like a broken bone in my leg is going to definitely yeah. kill me. You know, like right. I'm probably going to be okay from that and live much longer than I would have if I'd been born thousand or two thousand years ago yeah and i'm sure and and maybe that's something you'll be addressing at some point but i'm sure the technology also becomes a huge uh you know they didn't have the same kind of technology yeah they didn't have varying society they They, didn't have watches there was no clock so if you wanted to meet with me at some point it was kind of like ballpark it like (laughs) let's meet by the well in town at like afternoon you know not like Meet me at three thirty because I have another meeting at four fifteen. We've exactly. got this like teeny pocket of window. Our, our Google calendars and trying to schedule you in. Right, and let's be honest, we died a lot younger. So like even just the way you think about life, like here I am, I'm thirty two. We're in the Lent season. Jesus dies at thirty three. You know, like now he knew, right? Because he's Jesus. But the, people were dying much younger in the thirties. It was common to die at Jesus's time. Forties common to die. And so you're like, the way you think about life is obviously different if you thought. You know, I'm 12 years old. Uh, I might have 20 to 25 years left, versus now we're 50 to 55, and we're going. I might have 20 to 25 years left. Okay, be so, careful. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, we hope that anyone in this room who's around 55 has at least 20, 25 uh, hoping so. years yeah, left. There we go. But yeah, so you know, and and even further than that, Steve, society was smaller. Right. So like my network of people that I knew that I was in constant contact with was really like it was my town. 
right? We didn't have, A, we didn't have these like mega, mega cities, but B, without social media and without cars and without planes, like my circle of connectitude, right? It's the people that I see on a daily basis. It's, it's my tribe, it's my family, or, or my you know, couple small families who live in this, this part of the town and happen to all be in pottery, you know, whatever right. it might be. Yes. So, you know, like there were just a lot of limitations over the course of human history that are no longer present today. And on one hand, we can celebrate that, but on the other hand, we see the result. And that's that Americans are busier than they've ever been. So like the average American right now is currently putting off 14 things on their to-do list. So like whenever they go to bed tonight, there are 14 things that they meant to get done that are not done. Um, Six to 10 Americans are putting off basic life admin tasks. So that could be something like doing your taxes. It could be budgeting. It could be taking a shower, right? Like, I mean, it's it's that kind of busy. 76% of parents say they're too busy to read to their children at night. Right. So, I mean, like not not even like I don't want to or I'm too tired, but like, I just don't have time to read to my child before bed. Um, and this is the new norm for us. So even though we probably would all as as a generality say overcoming these limitations with things like technology, with things like social media, I love that I can be in touch with my friends who live in California. I've got a couple that, you know, really important to me and they're very life giving friends to me. But you know, I'm in touch with them. Why? Because I can. And I love that. But that also introduces a lot of new challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So why do we do this to ourselves? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a couple reasons, and, and maybe we can get into that in a second. But like sure. the, the main thing is this. I, I sort of think this continuous struggle um, is is creating uh, what about 50 years ago has been termed as hurry sickness. Hmm. Right. And so uh, the guy who kind of came up with it, his name is Meyer Friedman. Um, He is the person who originally coins the phrase hurry sickness after noticing that most of his at risk cardiovascular patients, so heart patients with heart disease, uh, also happen to display a a really um, harrying sense of time urgency. So he made this observation after noticing that type A people who are chronically angry and in a hurry, we're more prone to heart attacks. And he said all that wow. in the 50s, yeah. right? So like, right. think about how much has changed in the past 70 years from when this guy was like, oh, type A people, like they're so busy, they've got so much going on. I'm like, dude, I mean, like <laughs> we are in the 24 seven news cycle, like social media constancy, everything's at our fingertips all the time, pressure's flying in from all directions. I mean, if you had said 50 years ago, right, I'm a young families you know, minister here, and I'm like, if, if someone had said to that guy 50 years ago, Hey, you know, like at the age of three, people start planning for their kids' college. Like they're already starting to get their extracurricular activities and like their school and like money ready for college. It'd be like, why? They're three. Exactly. But that's, that's right. the world we live in right now. So true. And so we're feeling that pressure and that that stress a lot. Hmm. Um, and so uh, I have here, and, and again, a lot of our conversation today is. Uh, based on a family university, right, that we were doing, where we're going to kind of go into depth on a lot of this stuff. But um, symptoms of hurry sickness, okay, and I think this could be really helpful for the listeners, is maybe you're sitting at home and you're like, well, yeah, that's great, Steve, Rob, whatever, like, that's not that big a deal, maybe. Maybe, again, you're like, yeah, that kind of resembles my life, but I don't see why that's a problem. Listen, Listen kind of to this list and see how many of these things 
um, like sink in with you. Okay, so this is like I'm Googling my symptoms right now. You're going to, or I'm going to tell you, or you're going to give us some symptoms. Right. So, like, I'm going to run through a list of things, okay. uh, and you're going to, it's like a commercial, right? If one or more of these things apply to you, like, you may be a candidate for hurry sickness, right? That's right. So, okay. this right. kind of comes from um, a really great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, it's one of the most, like, approachable and entertaining books uh, if you have the time. Subtle hurry joke there, but you know I highly recommend you read it. So um, here's kind of what it is. So if you're listening, keep track. How many of these things describe you? Irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or, or just annoyed way too easily. Check. Yeah. Hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk mm. that ruins your day. Uh, so that's irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you just can't relax. Your mind is just running. Workaholism, um, the counterpart of that would be activityism. You actually don't know how to stop, right? You have to be constantly doing something or you start to get anxious. Uh, emotional numbness, you don't have time or capacity to feel another person's pain. I know for me in ministry, like that can be one that's really mm. a good sign, right? Because someone comes to me and they want to talk about something going on in their family or their life. And because I feel busy, I just literally, sometimes I, I catch myself. I don't have time for this. Sure. Well, gosh, that's terrible. So emotional numbness. Next, um, out of order priorities. And so you start catching yourself feeling disconnected from your identity and calling, right? There's things that you find really, really important, but you're not actually spending your time doing them. You're, you're kind of running in that tyranny of the urgent all the time. Uh, lack of care for your body, right? If you're going like, you know, days and days without eight hours of sleep, without daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, you know, if you're not limiting the stimulants, if you don't have margin in your life, like that's a sign of hurry sickness. Uh, escapist behavior. Do you get home and immediately have to turn on the TV or pick up a beer or, or something of that nature just to sort of get away from it all? Hmm. Um, uh, slippage of your spiritual disciplines, you know, often when you're busy, the things that are truly important and life-giving to your soul are the first things to go instead of being the first things we go to. When was the last time you picked up your Bible? Do you pray, or are you too busy for those things? And lastly, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. So, you know, you think through that list, um, you know, that's a lot of stuff, but you, you sort of think through and you give yourself a score— and it starts to really put you in a in a very interesting place, right? Well, it really you... does, and and it just seems to me that was more of a not so much symptoms of a sickness as much as it was a description of our culture. It is a description of our culture, and you know we kind of if we list these things out again, like in a, in a in a row, no one says, "Oh, I really want to feel that way." And, and so, like, there's a sense in which if we start to actually be honest with ourselves, and I go, "Yeah, I'm irritable. I'm hypersensitive. I'm restless. I, I have emotional numbness. I." I don't want to live this way, right? Like nobody really wants to be so busy that these things are happening. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking I, uh, just as one of the roles we do as pastors, is I, I was visiting uh, an older gentleman in the hospital, and he was probably looking at being in there for a couple of weeks. And in his hospital room, his TV wasn't working, and uh, so I said to him, I said, "Hey, I noticed your your TV. It's not working." I said, "You want me to?" talk to the nurses about that? And he's like, no. What do I need a TV for? I said, well, you know, you're just here. Like, what are you going to do? He's like, I got my Bible. I can talk to God. What else do I need? Right. 
And I almost had to scratch my head like, I don't even understand that. But because um, that's just not the world I live in. Right. So and, and me neither. Just, yeah. Because like, I think that's so counterintuitive to the way we're wired up today. Mm-hmm. And, and here's why. Because although none of us would say, I really wish, I, I really hope that list describes mm-hmm. me, those negative things of the hurry sickness symptoms, right. we actually do enjoy the busyness. Hmm. Um, in our society, we equate a sense of busyness with worth. If we're busy, we must be doing something right. And, and that comes uh, from a great article online um, uh, called Conspicuous Consumption of Time, when busyness and lack of leisure time become a status symbol. And that's actually what it is right now, right? Yeah, that's so true. You know, I, I do, I almost feel like we use, we throw that term out, I'm busy, and we wear it almost as if it's some kind of badge of honor. Yeah, it's a humble brag. It's it's a it's a low key humble brag, and we'll almost even couch it in a. We'll try to say, "Oh man, we're just, I'm just so busy." Um, you make it sound like it's something negative, but right. really, what you're like you said, it's a humble brag. I'm really just trying to flex there. And yeah, just say, you have no idea, man, how important I am because of all these people that need me and all these places I need to go and the things I need to do. I must be an important person. Right, exactly. It's like, oh, I, you know, I wish I could go on vacation. Like, ah, just this stupid job just keeps me working all the time. Like, right. what, do you, what do you really say? You're like, yeah, you got a joke of a job, dude. That's why you were able to take off for a week. You're like, I can't do that. I have a real job. I'm important. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. <laughs> I'm busy, you know? It's like I, I was, uh, as we were preparing for the conversation, I like literally looked up like humble brags because the internet's full of really good ones. This, this was two of these were really good. Oh, sorry. Billy can't come to your kid's birthday party. He has cello lessons, a fencing workshop, and he's giving a speech at the Model UN. Sometimes I just wish he had time for the simple things that normal kids get to do. You know, I'm like, uh, this this one too. (laughs) This is a tweet from just like a random lady. I'm wearing a ponytail. I have no makeup on, and I just woke up from a nap. I walk downstairs to the bar to get some food, and guys are still hitting on me, SMH. You know, like, shake my head. Yes, I'm sure you all want us to feel really sorry for you, absolutely. you know, that, that people find you attractive, right? But we do the same thing when it comes to busyness. I think you're absolutely right. That's why when so you say, true. or when I say to you, hey, Steve, how's it going? You say, oh, man, it's good, but I'm busy, man. I'm, I'm so busy. busy. I have so much going on. Could you imagine like the shock though? Like just if if the three of us were like out at a store and someone's like, "Hey, have you guys been?" And we're like, "Pretty good, man." I gotta say, like low stress. Um, I'm finding time for hobbies and like just to sit in, in silence. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be, know, like, I, and see, I think I'd be embarrassed to say that exactly because I think people would think, "Well, golly day, what does he do with his life?" Yeah, what's he? You know, you know how do I get this this like luxury ob- lifestyle? Obviously, that guy's an underachiever. Yeah. So, so, I mean, really, to me, we have to learn. The, the first step is seeing the problem. The second step is accepting that I, I actually resemble that problem. So, like, going through those symptoms of hurry sickness, understanding, wow, like, those are, those are huge issues, right? For, people, for a people who are called to love the way that Jesus loves, if I'm walking around hypersensitive, restless, if, I'm, if I don't have time to take care of my own body, which is the temple, right? Like, if, I, if I'm participating in escapist behavior, and I don't even have the, the capacity to sit in the uncomfortableness or the stress of my life, if I am irritable, how am I loving people? And that's what Dallas Wilder's saying, right? Like, he's saying, yeah. hurry, 
Hurry is incompatible with love. And so when we think about busyness, we have to first acknowledge like, yeah, this is a bigger problem than a lot of us are willing to admit. And two, I am experiencing that problem in my life. Yeah. You know, the other thing I think that leads to is I, I think it can often lead to us giving giving sort of a promise to someone and so easily breaking it. And I use my busyness as a reason why I can't do it. Oh, yeah. Hey, Rob, I'd love to come help you move next Saturday. And then Friday night, I go, oh, gosh, man, I had two meetings pop up and this, and I, I just can't do it. Right. You know, I've got, and it's easy to say, oh, I'd love to do all these things. But at the same time, uh, it really can keep me from making commitments in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or being present with the people you're actually in the room with. Right. L- listen to this. This is uh, this is really going to set us up, I think, well for like the next part of the conversation because it, it describes so clearly the world we're living in. This comes from Wayne Muller, okay, on his book from a book called Sabbath. He says, a successful life, so a successful life has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits. War on our children because we can't find enough time to be with them when they're hurt or afraid or need company. War on our spirit because we're too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us. We make war on our communities because we're fearfully protecting what we have. That's scarcity mindset, right? And do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous. We make war on the earth because we can't take the time to place our feet on the ground and allow it to feed us, to taste its blessings and give thanks. So we're in a season as as humanity, right, in the modern world, in the wealthy marketplace, right, that we are, you know, where we have overcome all those limitations of the past, but it's almost kind of like at a huge, maybe even more severe cost to our souls, to our families, mm. to our neighborhoods. Yeah. So that really leaves us asking the question, like, what do we do? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I wonder, like, you know... Is there is there any is there anything we can do to stop this? I mean, I, uh, I I'm trying to think of a word. I can't describe it, but um, I feel like the barn doors are open. The herd is out, and how are we going to get this thing back? Right, because we're we're fighting against a major tide of culture that says this is normative, this is right, and yet. This is actually hurting us and harming us. And so as I think even as a parent, even, you know, my kids are older now, but when they were young, there were so many things that were considered valuable and good that that pushed us into the busyness, whether it be sports and and sport clubs and activities, even even church uh, activities can become part of that. Absolutely. Where you're constantly feeling like you're nothing but a taxi service as you are raising your kids and driving them from here and there all the time. I mean, how do we stop that? I mean, do we we come Amish? Yeah, I mean, there's there's like there's really three options. So th- there's first, there's the world's answer to this. And you know, if you were to just google like how to become unbusy, right? Like the world's answer is really it's maximization. It's efficiency. Um, They're going to tell you to reprioritize, restructure, take shorter showers, watch less TV, become more efficient, get rid of things that waste time, and do more of the things that make you happy. That that definitely is helpful, Um, but, I mean, it's almost as simple 
as like the, the, the idea, like we all wish we had a few more hours in every day, right? But here's the, here's the truth. If I had a few more hours in the day, I would just fill up those few more hours, right? It's not like if you gave me three extra hours and I had a 27-hour day, I would work the same amount, sleep the same amount, and then find three extra hours to sit and be present with the Lord or to spend time, quality with time with my kids and my, my wife. No, I'm just going to fill it up with busyness. Why? Because it, I haven't addressed the real problem, right? The real problem is my heart, and we know that from Scripture. We see that over and over again in the Bible. My heart mm. is the problem. So although there's value in uh, reprioritization, although there's value in maximizing the time, you know, taking advantage of the time, there's value in that, but it doesn't fix the problem. So then, okay, if I can't maximize my way out of this problem, then I want to retreat from the problem. And so I start the Chapelgate Amish paradise, you you know, right? right. (laughs) Like, it's clear we only have one option, people. We need to retreat. We need to break our cell phones. We need to get rid of TV and social media. We need to go back to having dinner by candlelight and, like, just working on the land because then we'll have all those seasonal rhythm limitations that we talked about at the beginning of the show. But again, that doesn't actually fix the problem. So, like, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I've escaped, I've retreated from, but two things kind of come to mind whenever we we talk about that. One is, I'm still there, right? So if my heart is the problem, that means me, Rob is the problem, and Rob retreats, guess what? Rob is still there with Rob. I can't get rid of my own self. Yeah, so this is is what you're saying. It's really sort of setting up, either we're going to do some form of behavior modification, or we're going to work to see hearts changed. Right. And I can't, in my own effort, change my own heart. So I could easily bend toward the what would be the easier way of like just changing, making some self-improvement behavior modifications. Uh, but if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is what really needs to happen is, is my heart needs to be changed. 100%. 100%. Here's why. Um, in Luke chapter 10, we see this really interesting interaction between two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus, okay? Keep in mind, this is happening 2,000 years ago. This is an agrarian society. They are living by the rhythms of the day, okay? But so Jesus is sitting here, and his disciples are on their way, and he's at Mary and Martha's home, right? And um, it says, Jesus and disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Listen to this. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's Martha in the very physical presence, the very room of Jesus Christ, right? And she clearly knows he's special. She calls him Lord, right? And she's distracted. She's too busy to sit and be present with Jesus. So there's a sense in which I'm, I'm almost recognizing, I'm like, what hope do I have as a father, as a husband, right? As a friend, if Martha can't do it in the physical presence of Jesus, how can I do it in the spiritual presence of Jesus? Mm, that's right. It's really, really hard. That's right. But there is hope, and Jesus tells us what the hope is, because here's where we get to the real answer. The world will tell us to maximize, or in our fear, we're going to want to retreat. But Jesus gives us an answer for our heart. He says there is one thing that is necessary. What is that one thing? It's him. It's Jesus. It's to spend time with him. It's to abide in him. It's to come to him in our exhaustion and tiredness and weariness and rest in him, 
right? It's to be renewed and strengthened by our hope in him. It's to have our souls be restored and brought to a place where we can truly rest in Jesus and to have our minds renewed and transformed. So the gospel is actually the answer to my busyness. The gospel is the answer to my hurry sickness. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. It really does. And so, you know, I think about, you know, Martha and the story you were doing. And Martha, it's not like anything she was doing was a bad thing. You know, making sure dinner was ready and making sure the house, all those things she was running around in her mind, it almost describes uh, hurry sickness right there, Absolutely. right? Her mind is racing. It's full of thoughts. She's like, your heart's full of anxious things. But it's not as if it's full of anxious things that are necessarily, we would say, they're bad. But she's missing the one thing that she ultimately really needed, and that was Jesus. Right. Where her sister Mary understood that. Yeah, Mary gets it. She was able to just sit at his feet. And it's not like Martha's crazy here, right? Like, I would probably feel the same way. I'm like, okay, this, like, really famous guy just entered my house. It's typical in the kind of age and custom, you know, culture that I'm in that people are going to flock to my home, and I better have food ready for them and drink ready for them. My house better be clean. And she's missing the presence of the Lord for the pressures of the societal norm. That's right. Right? And we fall into that trap all the time, but Jesus gives us the answer, and it's himself. I love that. And so as we start to wrestle as a people, as families, as spouses, with the gospel and how it actually frees me from the pressures of society, from that need to be constantly busy, even from, like we said, the status symbol of busyness or hurry sickness, I go, oh man, I can breathe again, and I breathe in a new way. And when I start to breathe in that new way, in the gospel, I actually have room uh, to recover some of the things that bring real life mm. into my life. And mm. that's where Patrick really is going to take over for the rest of the conversation and walk us through kind of like what that looks like. Yeah, because that was really what I was wondering is what does, um, what is what does it really mean to rest in the gospel, rest in Jesus? I mean, they sound like really good words. Um, and... Uh, they, they sound, it sounds really nice, but when you think about it, um, what does that really mean? And so, um, Patrick, um, as you've thought about uh, all the stuff that Rob's been te- talking about, um, how does the gospel really free us? Yeah, well, uh, a couple of things. First, hi, I'm here. I've been here the whole time. Uh, and uh, yeah, good stuff, guys. It's been good to be uh, able to be just a fly on the wall, but I think you know, you know, we live in such a performance-heavy culture. Perform, perform, perform. B B B. Do do do, and you know, uh, you're measured by what you produce. And so I think the gospel first is an invitation to being versus doing. Hmm. Um, and I think that is a pretty radical shift, especially if you're a type one person that has been successful in your life and in your career and in your family and you are accustomed to transacting in a in a doing culture um you know you've managed your schedule you've been very efficient and yet at the end of the day um we we recognize how little control we have when we find ourselves powerless Hmm. and and so the gospels always leads us to being versus doing and you know, we see that in the scriptures. Um, you know, before there's ever a command, there's always an indicative statement, and that indicative statement is of, often, you know, you're a son, you're beloved, you're you're God's chosen, you're His elect, you're His child, you're yeah, his, you know, all right. of these things are indicative statements. And then, because of that, 
you right. go. So it always the imperatives always flow out of the indicatives. And so first it's a it's an invitation to being. And that is something we have to learn. I think we have to learn how to be. You know, the culture uses that language. I was listening on the radio today where some folks were talking about, you know, feeling worthy. You know, you are worthy. You are worthy. And yeah, that's right. You know, and and, and, you know, in one sense, I can understand what that longing is, because it's a longing to be enough. And the gospel says, actually, you aren't enough. Right. That's right. But Jesus is. Jesus is. And that's why Paul can write, my grace is sufficient for you, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah. And, and that just goes, that's so, that's so countercultural, um, you know, because those would not be values of our culture. No, our, our culture values what you do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, is you know you go in for a job interview, you're not going to talk a lot about your being. You're going to be talking about what you do and what you can do for whoever company you're working for. I had a high level athlete years ago who um, you know had won multiple championships, and uh, she, she had gotten injured, and uh, her coach saw her when she was rehabbing and said something to the extent of you're the reason we lost our fourth championship because you blew, you know, your knee out, hmm. you know, it's just crushing, uh, yeah. you know, crushing Absolutely. to a young person. So, so how do we, how can we put like this gospel being into practice for ourselves and our families? Well, I think the first thing is the gospel is an invitation to rest. How do we rest? How do we, what does it mean to, to rest? What, and what are we resting from? Does that mean just be lazy? Does that mean just like, right. you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to take like a, a self-care day, you know, today. Is that what, he, is that what the, the, the invitation is? I think it's actually resting from this performance mindset, especially as it applies mm-hmm. to our spiritual yeah, lives. Right. Um, it means resting from self-salvation strategies, you know, ways in which we try to make ourselves good enough for God. You know, either by our um, behavior or works, um, and, and and it's a resting from heavy burdens. You know, things that are outside of our control. You know, rest from you know life in a fallen and broken world where things don't go the way we we want or expect. And there's a positive element to rest too. It's it's a resting for your good. It's a resting for your soul. You know, it's a it's a rest that is different than you know just taking time to to be lazy. It's a it's it's actually a mindset of sabbath that we walk in every single day, you know, um with God. Yeah, in fact you were just making me think. I read a book by Dan Allender called Sabbath. And uh I remember one of the points he made early on in the book is, you know, God created 6 days and on the 7th day he rested. And Dan's question was why did he rest? Was he tired? Did this God of the universe get tired? And the answer is, well, no, of course God doesn't get tired. So there must be another reason that God created rest. Yeah. And so, and it just reminds me of what you were talking about there. What does it mean to enter in and to enjoy God's creation, enjoy the people God has placed into your life, um, the things that our busyness keep us from entering into? Yeah, that's right. You know, um, you know, the human heart is, is prone to make small things into ultimate things. And so it's a rest from doing that. It's a rest from putting our, our center on the finished work of Christ. You know, what are the ways that I have this week, you know, tried to live out of my own self-sufficiency as opposed to being surrendered and reliant on Jesus? 
And how do I repent of that? Where where is there space for repentance if I can't reflect who I am in my life? And, you know, we say here that the gospel is the invitation to repent and believe. And if you don't have time to repent because you don't have a good sense of where you're falling short, you don't have that sort of built into your your life, then it's going to be very hard to see that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so there's two invitations from Scripture that I can think of, and the first is to be radically dependent. Um, You know, Jesus welcomed the little children into his presence. You know, he always, you know, he didn't, there was always room, you know, like no matter what he was doing, you know, children were always welcome in his space. And uh, it says in Matthew 19, 14, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, he's not saying that we have to become like child, like children, or childish, Sure. but there's something about kids. You know, there was a stat that uh, the average four-year-old laughs 300 times a day, whereas the only the average 40-year-old, only four. Wow. You know? Yeah. There's something Absolutely. in that. I think I'm there's curious, something yeah. in that. You know why? We're made to be dependent, and yet we've been convinced and inoculated to our need. We, 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 we have programmed our whole day. We've become very successful and rewarded for it. And um, we, we don't like being dependent people. Think about it like receiving help. You know, sometimes I'll ask people this, like, you know, you're in a position of need. And how does it feel? I'm just going to ask you, Steve. How does it feel to, you know, when somebody brings you a meal? Or what, what is your first thought that comes to your mind if somebody does something for you? Oh yeah, my my usually my first thought is, oh no, you don't need to do that. Yeah, you don't need to. I mean, we're we're fine. We we got right. this covered. I I don't I don't need your, you know. And I, I probably don't say everything I think. Um, and uh, what? Well, so that's that's what I was hoping you would say that right. we didn't plan this, but I I, I there's something in that, right? Yeah. Jesus received hospitality. Think about Zacchaeus and like he's like, I'm gonna come stay at your house today. You know, he had a need, yeah, and Zacchaeus right. like welcomed him, right. you know, into that's that. Right. Like, yeah. right? Like he was he was uh, radically present in that moment, right? And you, you may not say you may not like the word um, uh, 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 dependent. Sorry, uh, maybe you like the word surrendered better, but they're the same thing. You know, being surrendered. Absolutely, and I and again, I just feel like the, the whole conversation, whether it's you or Rob, all of these things that we are. Um, are saying we need to do uh, as sort of the antidote to our busyness, all these things we need to do are actually countercultural. Mm-hmm. You know, the culture does not uh, value dependence. I mean, this, the whole culture is all about finding and discovering your independence, telling our kids, you know, you know, no one else, you don't need anyone else, you can do this yourself, all of it. But so much of our worry, our anxiety, and stress is all built and wired around our own quests for independence. Mm-hmm. And you think, I'm going back to the childlike thing, you know, a four-year-old doesn't have the cares that we have because they know where their food is, at least in a good family. They know where they're, they're going to eat. They know they're going to have clothes. They're going to know that their needs are provided for, so they're free to enjoy. Yeah, they're, that's totally right, because they're safe. It's good. One of the ways we show... Let's see. The other, the second point is to be radically present. Hmm. Be radically mm-hmm. present. You know, and the, the refrain over and over again in Scripture is that God is with us, right? That He's with us. And so that frees us 
to be present with those around us, um, to be, you know, free to, to put the phone down, to put the to-do list aside, to really lock in and listen when God brings somebody into our path, whether that's our family or our neighbors or our friends, and to create space, you know, because we are so, you know, efficiency-driven that, you know, to, to really stop and be present with people is sometimes the, the invitation in the gospel. Um, Absolutely. You know, the enemies of presence are comfort and distraction. You know, um, I, I can't be present with you because I've had a very hard week, and I need to take some, some time. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely room for that, but I think there's also been an overcorrection towards that. You know, we talk about self-care here, and I have a friend who... who sort of rebranded it a little bit. He calls it self-stewardship. And I, I kind of like that better than self-care. But, you know, comfort, pursuing our own, per- pursuing comfort or being distracted. You know, um, how often do you find yourself trying to juggle multiple things at the same time? And your mind is like, your your kids are talking to you, you're in the car, you know, you're thinking about how to get from point A to point B, you're worried about what what food they're going to eat tonight and what how we're going to do dinner, and they're asking you about their homework and schedules, and you're, you're, you do feel like a taxi driver, and it's like, ah, like, just, every, right. just everything just stop. Uh, you know, I want to go to that Amish paradise, right? Absolutely. Um, and you're thinking about your own work and, and, and your own personal life as well. And I think that's... That's part of the nature of our culture. It's also an um, sort of another one of those ways that I think technology has really also harmed us in the culture. Like you said, put your phone down. I can't. Th- my wife is really, you know, if we're we're at dinner or we're sitting around, and I just pick up my phone, my what my wife will she'll say something like, "Oh, what's so interesting on your yeah. phone?" <laughs> and yeah. uh, in other too. words, it's kind of like uh, I guess it's more interesting than me. Yeah, right. And, uh, which we know is not true. Which, which, well, of course not. Of course it's not true. Yeah. So, um, but I think there's a need for me. Like I have my phone, well, and I think to myself, well, people could need me right now. Mm. There could be an important text that comes in. There could be an important email that comes in right now. But I, I think I lie to myself, um, even when I'm doing that, to sort of justify my distractions. Yeah. Um, so really turning off your phones, putting them away, trying to really be present um, is really is really important, Patrick. That's really good. Yeah. You know, um, speaking of comfort, Mark Sayers says that the fruit most valued by contemporary stronghold of self is comfort. Feeling good is an expected normative state of being. If a task is unpleasant, if a relationship goes through a difficult period, if a job is tough, it is taken as a signal that something is wrong or that something is wrong with you. You know, just thinking through, you know, when when you do have those times in your life where you feel uncomfortable, is that an opportunity to go to the thing that you've been feeding your whole life, or is there an opportunity for faith there? Is there an opportunity for trust? Is there an opportunity for repentance? You know, and just saying, Lord, I want this more than you right now. Forgive me and help me to, to, to rest in you because you are enough for me in this moment. Yeah, so I, I, if, if I hear you, like there's really the call for us is a place for us to recognize really our sin mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. So it's really, the idea is to repent and really believe the gospel mm-hmm. in this moment. And so, uh, I mean, that's just been really, really, uh, really convicting for me. Um, I, know, I know time is running up. I thought maybe what we could do is just 
if there's sort of some final thoughts that each of you guys have as we wrap up, if there's something you want to leave us with um, here uh, as we end this uh, as we end this podcast together. So, um, Patrick. Yeah. Well, just one or two ways to to thought to to, to implement this and, and think about you know all the things that we talked about. Okay, great. We know the problem, and uh, we we know some of the fruits of the problem. Maybe some of the 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 solution is to make room in your life. You know, we make room for all kinds of things, but look at your take a take a uh, economic look at your your day, just like you would with your food sometimes and your intake, and look at are you making space for reflection, and are and 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 take an honest look at that because if you say, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time to read my Bible. Well, you know, there's all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of things and technology and things that you can use that you can engage in scripture in different ways, like walking and praying and things of that nature. But then the other thing is, is, is are, ask the question, am I connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ? Hmm. Am I growing in my faith? Am I, am, I, am I growing? Am I stuck? Or am I moving backwards? And just take an audit of your own heart and your life and look for ways to connect. We have, we have all kinds of Groups, you know, we have a discipleship process here at the church that we're we're we are birthing and, and and it is growing and you know looking for other brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside you in your faith to to challenge, encourage, and equip you for the work of ministry. Um, those are two things that I that immediately rise to my mind. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I think along those lines with Patrick, I would say something that's been really challenging for me, but also very rewarding in, in terms of fighting hurry sickness and making myself available to, to the work of the Lord in my heart is when I get home, I take my phone and I put it in a drawer. And, and literally, like, I do that. And it's embarrassing to say, but, like, I will go back and check, even without a ding or a ping or a vibration, just because I want, like you said earlier, yeah, Steve, right. I want to know that I'm important. But, but just removing that distraction, like Patrick is saying, removing that distraction really creates space for me to begin to be present with my family. Um, and the second really is, is also what Patrick said, it's Sabbath. Actually thinking through how is Sunday different than every other day of the week for me? And, uh, you know, we're not necessarily strict Sabbatarians here, but, you know, there is something beautiful about the exercise, the verb of Sabbath as well, to say, on this day, we don't do X, Y, Z, we do intentionally do X, Y, Z, and there's there's some beautiful good that comes from that. Oh man, I appreciate that. Um, I thank you both uh, for all of this, and it's it's given me, I know, a lot for me to think about and process um, uh, in my own life, and in uh, I may have to start answering people's questions differently when they ask me how I'm doing, and I'm going to have to really think through how I want to answer those. Um, but beyond that. Um, uh, I really want to look to find ways to embrace the gospel in areas of rest, uh, in areas of really being present. And so those have given me a lot of good things to think about. Um, if you're listening to this and you're like, I could really use some help with this, um, Patrick, Rob, uh, myself, we're all here at the church for you. So feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy to meet, grab a cup of coffee and talk more about this uh, with you at uh, any time because we are... Um, None of us have it mastered, so uh, we're just beggar to beggar, and uh, I often find that's the best way to be. So I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of In the Microwave. 
Uh, I hope that uh, you enjoyed our time. A special thank you to Rob and Patrick. And uh, uh, you'll we'll go back to, you know, uh, that old in the fire soon enough. Yeah, baby. So you all take care.